I just want to say real quick, thank you to the worship band. They, especially Ben, who put the music together and worked on all this today, because I shared with Ben my passage for this morning, and basically shared my themes, and Ben put together a sermon, uh, put together the songs and everything else, and I'm just like, blown, overwhelmed, and, and, and blown, my heart is blown by just how much those songs spoke to what we're talking about today. So thank you, Ben, wherever you're hidden. <laughs> um, today we're going to be talking about leadership. Today we're talking about the gospel made visible. So throughout this series, and I'm Keith, by the way, I'm one of the, the pastoral assistant here at Redeemer. Um, what we've been doing is a series of sermons has been the gospel made visible. That is, how are certain actions, certain things we do, certain ways we behave, how certain practices we do as Christians, how do they make the gospel visible? Not only proclaimed, but seen as well. And today I'm going to be speaking about biblical leadership, what that looks like. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. But we are in the midst, in our culture, of a crisis regarding leadership. Our culture, for the most part, is not led well. Our culture, our news feeds, our articles, our Facebook profiles, wherever you get your news and your information, is oftentimes dominated by the loudest voice or the person who wants the mo something the most. We're f our, our, our political ads are full of attacks and, and defamation of others, not communicating vision and direction for the country. Oftentimes, leadership is often seen in our culture as a ruling, it's even referred to as the ruling class. No longer public servants, but those who make the decisions for others whether it's in our churches, in our counties, our states, our companies, or in our nation, leadership is fracturing. Leaders in so many places are, are not built upon service or love or compassion, but upon a bottom line or upon a cult of personality built around a person. At the same time, even especially in our churches, leaders are being found out to be in moral failure weekly, if not daily. Last week, I went to leadership training at work, and leadership was defined as getting other people to do what you want them to do. That was the summation of leadership. Leadership is just simply figuring out how to get you to do what I want you to do, period. And I knew I was going to be preaching this this week, and I was just kind of heartbroken. What is going on today? Do you get tired of this? We talk about leadership, but we talk about leadership, and what we see is this self-serving, self-destructive chaos. I took a class in college in leadership that introduced dozens of books and hundreds of authors and Everybody had a different philosophy. 
how are we to think and react in times of this chaos? Well, oftentimes we, because of our, our day and age, and this has been humans throughout history, we think we are more complex and have a more difficult life than anyone before us. We think our culture is so much more complex, our, our lives are so much more complex, and what can we get from the Bible about this? Well, leadership in Jesus' day was basically the same as it is today. The world was full of leaders seeking to exalt themselves to rule over others. And Jesus, in the text we're looking at today, taught a very different perspective for leaders in the church. Now, there's much, much, there's tens of thousands of books. I didn't do an Amazon search, but I'm certain there's, if not hundreds of thousands of books on the topic of leadership. I will not be summarizing all those today. Be glad, we'd be here a long time. I'm also not gonna be doing a comprehensive review of leadership. This sermon this morning instead will examine what Jesus says in Matthew 20 about leadership in his kingdom, his church. But let me start by saying what leadership is not. Leadership in the church, biblical leadership, is not authoritarian. It's not do what I say. That's not biblical leadership. It's also not domineering. It's not controlled by fear or personal power. Leadership in the church should not be personality-driven. Oh, I follow them because they're charismatic. Nor should leadership be self-centered or manipulative. Biblical leadership is to contain none of these things. Instead, today we're going to see that the biblical, model, the biblical model of leadership, we see Jesus' command and practice is servant-hearted, redemptive leadership. What we're going to see today is the biblical model of leadership that we see Jesus' command and practice is servant leadership. Servant-hearted, redemptive leadership. Now, Matthew 20 is in page 825 in your pew Bibles. I'm going to be reading verses 20 through 28 for context but we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 28. So Jesus has just foretold his death for a third time. He's just told his 12 disciples that he is going to die and be raised again. Then after this, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that is James and John, came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. He said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve 
and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I'm going to do something a little different this morning, so I'm going to let you know about it ahead of time. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask a question that's not rhetorical. So in other words, I'm going to ask a question that I'd like you to answer for me. The question I'm going to tell you right now, so you can kind of prep in your mind or write down a couple ideas, is what are some character traits? What are some things you see in people who are servant-hearted or who are good servants? So I'll be asking that question later, so keep that in mind, because I am going to expect for some responses today. Um, Now, one point I want to make in the beginning of this sermon that I think is incredibly important. This text that I just read gives us definitions. To be servant-hearted, to be a slave of all, even as Christ came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Oftentimes when we look at the Bible and we have this list of characteristics, especially as we talk about what servants look like together, it can be easy for us to say, okay, I just need to do all these things. I need to pull up my bootstraps, you know, get myself ready and just work really, really hard to be like this. That's not what we're doing today. That's not what this text is calling us to. This is not about behavior modification or habit changes. Those things won't work. After a while, we're going to look at ourselves and say, well, I'm still not like that. We're going to quit trying. Changing your behavior or changing your habits is not what this sermon's calling you to do. That's not what this text is calling you to do. We're going to see in this text that the description of a servant leader points to Jesus himself. And I want each of us to examine ourselves in light of this. Yes, where there's repentance, yes, we need to repent. But all the more, as we apply this text in our own hearts and lives, we don't apply it in our own power. We don't just take it as a list of things to do. Instead, we read the word, we meditate on the example of Jesus, and we pray that God would change our hearts. The great thing about the the, the scripture is that the, the standards God calls us to God's Holy Spirit in Christians is working to conform them to anyway. God is already at work striving to make us more like Jesus in this text. So we want to strive to walk in faith and obedience, not under our own power, changing our behavior alone, but simply walk with God in this, in this growth together that he would have for all his children. So that being said, that caveat that this isn't just about behavior change, but this is about heart change. This is about change that comes from the spirit, from the word and prayer, not from just having a list of things I do once a day. I was a Boy Scout. We have a motto, do a good turn daily. So okay, I do a good turn, I check that off, I'm done. I did something nice for somebody, I'm good. That's not the point here. This is not a list of things you say, okay, I, hey, I was serving hard this week. I helped somebody do this. I'm good. This is not a list of things to do. It's an attitude of the heart. So that being said, we, we're looking first in verses 25 through 27 
about how biblical leaders must be servant-hearted. I'm going to read it one more time. But Jesus called to him and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must first be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be your slave. So the biblical leader is servant-hearted. These Jesus in this text flips the world's wisdom on its head. The disciples were just arguing about who will be greatest. Jesus defines the greatest here as the servant and as the slave. He takes the lowest of the low of the classes in his culture and says, the people who are the lowest will be the greatest in the kingdom. I want us to stop and think about this for a second. I'm coming back to this question I asked earlier. What does it look like? What are some character traits of a servant leader? Does anybody have any they're willing to share? Go ahead and just shout them out if you could. Humbleness. Humbleness. Fantastic. So humbleness is a great trait of a servant leader. Any others? A willing and joyful spirit. Fantastic, thank you. Any other characteristics? Selfless. Selfless. Fantastic, thank you. Any other characteristics of a servant leader that come to mind? Anybody in your life you've seen who just serves selflessly, humbly, joyfully? Any other characteristics that come to mind? Bold. Bold? Servant leaders can be very bold, okay? Excellent. Gracious, fantastic. Thank you all for responding to my question. Yeah, servant leaders, there's a list you can come up. Graciousness, boldness, humbleness, joyfulness. Um, servant leaders are, are ser- servants by definition of the title. Servant leaders are servants. They strive to bless others. They serve God. They're focused on others. They do what is helpful. They do what would bless others without affirmation. They do what would bless others without thought of reward. Servant leaders in general are not self-exalting. You know, it's not like, well, I just went over and built houses in Mexico and went over to Haiti and helped out there. I'm gonna throw it all on Facebook and Instagram to get all my followers to say, yay me. That's not servant-hearted, that's self-exalting. Oftentimes, we can fall into traps like that because we wanna share good news, but we wanna share what God is doing rather than what we're doing. Now, when we see servant-heartedness, These are all great traits that we've talked about. We see this most clearly in Jesus. And in this text, he refers to himself as the son of man who came not to serve, but to be served. Not to be served, but to serve. Forgive me. Jesus is seen throughout the Gospels serving others to the point of physical exhaustion. If, if you, as, as you read the Gospels, they're full of serving others. It's overwhelming 
the gospel, if it's not telling you where he's going, it's telling you how he's serving. In the gospels, Jesus serves by teaching others about the kingdom. He serves by healing. He heals frequently lepers. He heals the woman with the, uncle, the woman with the discharge of blood. He heals the the the, the synagogue teacher's child from death, brings them up back from death. He cares for others. He works miracles. He washes the disciples' feet. He feeds 3,000, and later he feeds 5,000. Jesus turns water into wine. He serves, him, serves to the point of exhaustion. He gets in a boat, falls asleep. The winds and storms come. The disciples are freaking out. They wake up Jesus, and he, he was so exhausted, he slept through the storm, and then he solved the problem of the storm. Be still, be quiet, and the storm ceased. Jesus pours out his life in servant leadership, serving God and serving others, proclaiming the kingdom and doing the work of God. There's not enough time to go through all the different ways that Jesus served in the Gospels. Now, in the Scriptures, we also see this servant heart in the Apostle Paul. Paul, when he writes his letters, refers to him as a servant of the Lord in the introduction of a number of his letters. Paul has a deep and abiding love for the churches he plants, and those he hasn't planted, he writes letters to that he loves. And he has an intentional purpose to establish them and love them sacrificially. Paul was willing to pour out his life and love for the churches, both in teaching the gospel and modeling them modeling for them what it means to be a gospel minister, but also in confronting and rebuking those who are leading others astray. He loved the churches in Jesus and chose to serve without asking anything from them. So we see servant leader in Scripture, first and foremost in Jesus. He fills it most clearly. But we see it in Paul. We can see it in Timothy, in Titus, in the, 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 apostle, in the disciples, in the apostles, throughout Scripture. This is the framework that Jesus gives us, the Apostle Paul gives us, the Scriptures give us, Peter gives us, throughout the entire New Testament, the idea of the Christian, the idea of the Christian leader, but the idea of the Christian is that of a servant, serving and loving others. How are each of us called to be servants? I do mean each of us. Serving one another is the call of Christ for us in this text throughout the gospel and throughout the New Testament. I've been told by a well-meaning brother that you have the gift of service and I have the gift of evangelism and you serve and I'll do evangelism. Guys, service isn't a gift. Service is a calling. You know what? Yes, there is a gift of evangelism, but evangelism is also calling for everybody. That was a false dichotomy. We are called by God as we conform to the image of Christ to serve others. It's not going to look the same for everyone. It's not. But it's the call of Christ for every believer's life. 
Today, I am, being ble- I am being blessed, and every parent here is being blessed by my wife, who I did not tell I was using in this illustration. Uh, Lyle came down with pink eye, and rather than, you know, he was, we were told 24 hours, you can take him to church on Sunday. We decided that it's probably not the best idea to take him to church on Sunday. Claudia chose to stay home and serve the church and love the church by keeping him from potentially making everybody else's kids sick. So I appreciate her willingness and love for him, for me, and for all of you to keep anybody else's children from being sick. That's service. Service looks different in different situations. For some cases, it's bringing a bag of groceries. Other cases, it's sitting down and talking with someone and seeing how they're doing. Other cases, it may be helping move. Other cases, it may be, you know, fixing a computer or helping with, helping with drywall in somebody else's basement that flooded. There's lots of different ways we serve and love one another. But the question I have to ask you is, how, and this is a rhetorical, how are you called to live your life as a servant, as Christ called, to be a servant of others and a slave of all Today? This is to be the, yes, the leaders of the church, the the, the most exalted that Christ exalts are those who do this the most, but all of us are called to do this. How is your life identified with? How does your life manifest this picture of service toward others? Now, once again, if it doesn't, you're like, dude, I don't serve anybody. I barely serve myself. I don't want anyone to condemn themselves here. But I want for us each to say, okay, Christ calls me to serve as he served me, as he served us, he calls us to serve. And I want each of us to pursue this by his grace, meditating on who he is and his, by reading the word and, and seeing who he is and thinking about that, taking that in. Um, you know, we, we hear the quote, you become what you behold. And if we spend an hour on a Sunday morning beholding Jesus and 80 hours a week beholding Facebook, Netflix, and TV, you know, we're going to become what we behold. Another phrase my mom, used to, my mom used to say is, you are what you eat. Basically, what we consume is going to impact how we behave. So my encouragement to all of us here today dig deep into the Gospels, dig deep into the Scriptures, see who Jesus is, meditate on that and let his example through his word by the work of the Holy Spirit change you, transform you more and more into his likeness. And if you don't like where you're at right now, that's okay. Don't condemn yourself. Repent of what needs to be repented of and strive after Jesus. He is both the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's not on us to somehow meet some standard of perfection in order for God to love us. That's not it at all. God already loves us perfectly in Jesus if we are his child. And he's simply calling us as a father raises his child to come and follow me, come and be like Jesus. So a biblical leader is servant-hearted. But next, we need to see how biblical leadership is redemptive. Verse 28 says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, 
Jesus says this in response to this debate about leadership in the church. But I want you to look up at verses 18 and 19 in chapter 20 here. Because Jesus foretells his death. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, to deliver him over to the Gentiles, to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he'll be raised on the third day. Jesus says this. And the next passage that Matthew has put for us here, Jesus, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus made it very clear here. His death and resurrection are for the ransom, for the, the ransoming of many. Now, this ransom, this, this payment for sin that Jesus died on the cross for, That's what Jesus came to do. The good news is, for Christians, is we're not called to die on behalf of other people's sins. Praise the Lord. Jesus did this. Guys, when we look at Jesus' life, he came, he lived the life we could not live, a perfect, sinless, obedient life before God. He was persecuted falsely accused and put to death on the cross, and he died the death that we deserve. He bore the wrath of God. He died in our place on the cross and rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. And by repenting of our sin and trusting in him, turning from our sin and turning toward Jesus, we can have forgiveness of sin an eternal life with God. No longer his enemies, but his beloved children. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's the leadership that he, what he accomplished. As Christian leaders, our job is not to die on behalf of others. Our job is, in, as redemptive leaders is to point others to Jesus. If Christian leadership is not redemptive, so you say, I'm a good servant, I don't really want to talk about the gospel, but I'm a great servant. Well, my friend, and I fall into this camp so often that I'm like, I, I love to serve, I love to serve, I'll, I'll help everybody move, and I'll, I'll help with basements, and I'll do all this kind of, you know, whatever I can do to help people. But good grief if getting me to open up about the gospel with somebody I don't know well is like pulling teeth at times. I don't say this to, to shame myself, but to the honesty of sometimes it's hard to share the gospel. But the fact of the matter is that the world can produce servants. The church, the call of God on the Christian is to produce redemptive servant, servant leaders who are redemptive. The world can't produce redemptive leadership. The world can't produce people who love God and point others to Jesus. And that's our call as servant-hearted leaders. Now this church, the leadership I'm talking about, a lot of people when they heard leadership, I probably should have said this earlier, probably checked out. Well, I'm not a community group leader. I'm not a leader in my LTG. I'm not a leader in the church. I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. I'm good. I can kind of sit back, relax, take a nap in the back, and, and just be good. 
But the reality is, leadership is not only for the church that Jesus is defining here. It's every day of our lives as Christians, no matter where we're at, we are acting as leaders. If you're a parent, you're leading at least your children. If you're a husband, I hope you're leading your family. If you are a single, I hope you're leading yourself. If you are married without children, I hope you're leading your family well. There is, if you're, if you're, if you're a, a widow, you're leading yourself and others. And if you're in a church body, we are leading each other toward Christ by our example, by our lives, and by our words. We are all leaders. And that leadership is going to be incredibly, our leadership will either validate our gospel proclamation or it will invalidate our gospel proclamation. I have talked to people in this room who go, I work at a Christian company and I work with people who say they're Christians who I can't tell. They, they proclaim the gospel, they say they love Jesus, when it comes down to it, their leadership invalidates that argument. They're not humble, servant-hearted. They're quite the opposite. Well, our attitudes, our actions around others will either validate or invalidate the gospel we proclaim. This Christ-like leadership that is servant-hearted and redemptive is the external behavior that makes the gospel visible as we proclaim it to others. Our role as Christians who are called to be servant leaders, redemptive leaders, is to point people to Jesus. We want to help them see and understand the gospel and why Jesus is worth surrendering all to follow. Now, the good news is this isn't something, I'm not saying, hey, go home and do this, everybody alone. You know, hey, go figure out how to apply this and go home and do this. Because so often, that's where we end. But the good news is we're all called to be leaders and we're in a church. We don't do this alone. We can help one another grow in servant-heartedness, and in, in, in redemptive leadership. How can we do this? First, we can serve each other. Second, we can allow others to serve us. That's a big one. Some people who are very strong servants don't really want other people to serve them. No, we have to be willing to let others bless us just as we bless others. Not only that, but as a church, as we come together, we can exhort one another to pursue Christ-likeness. We can hold up Jesus as worthy of our praise and admiration and of our, and as we behold him together, we'll become more like him. So we do this as a church. We also can pursue God in prayer, asking him to transform our hearts. We can pursue Christ in the word and just meditate on a gospel. I love the Gospel of John. We're in the Gospel of Matthew today. We have four Gospels. Every Gospel paints 
a beautiful picture of Jesus, our servant king. Spend time in the Gospels. Meditate deeply on the beauty of Jesus, on his servant heart. Take in, consume the scriptures. Take in the scriptures, meditate upon it. And let God do that work through the Spirit, through prayer, to transform us. Once again, this is not about changing our behavior. It's about striving, pursuing a change of heart that God has already promised he's at work in us to do. One thing we cannot do today, one thing we cannot do today, because I'm reaching the end of my sermon, is look at this text and then say, I'm just the way I am. That's just the way I am. And be unwilling to pursue growth in Christ-likeness. To be unwilling for God to change us. That's not an option we have as Christians. As Christians, God's Holy Spirit, if you are a believer in Christ, it dwells within you and, it's str- and one of its main purposes is to make us more like Jesus. So if your heart's attitude is, I am the way I am and I'm happy with it and I don't want to change, I would encourage you to examine your heart. I would encourage you to examine your heart in light of the call to be more like Christ and to love and serve others. And let us strive as we strive in this. Let us grow together in this area. Our life transformation groups, we can talk about this. Hey, how can I be a better servant leader? Hey, guys, pray for me about this. Hey, where have you seen evidence of God at work in my life in this area? That's a great question because, let's face it, most of us don't see ourselves very clearly. But our life transformation group, our spouse, even our children can speak into our lives in ways we may not find comfortable, but it's very illuminating. In the end, as I, finally, in the end, our goal is not to put on a list of characteristics. Jesus is the ultimate servant leader. He is the ultimate servant-hearted, redemptive leader. Our goal in having these categories is simply calling each of us put on Christ. Pursue Christ-likeness. Not out of a series of works, but because Not because you're earning God's favor, but because you already have it. Not because you're earning God's forgiveness, but because you are a beloved child of God. And you're called to be like Jesus. To be a child of God is to be called to be like Jesus. It's my hope today as we've looked at the example of Jesus, his loving service for others, his serving God and serving others, his dying on the cross for our sins and raising again, that we've all been challenged and exhorted to pursue Christ-likeness for the good of our souls, for the good of others, and for the glory of God. Let us strive together for the gospel to be made visible in our leadership and actions toward others and for the gospel to be proclaimed from our lips so that 
so that God is glorified and souls are saved. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you don't just give us a list of behaviors we're supposed to do. Father, I thank you that you don't just give us a a series of categories that we can work on to be good enough. But Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price for our sin, for our rebellion, and by trusting in you, we may have a right relationship with God. We may be forgiven of our rebellion and, and made right. Lord, I thank you that this call to servant leadership, to biblical leadership, is not a call to simple behavior modification or five steps to more effective leadership, but Lord, it's the call to be like Jesus. So Father, I pray that you would work a mighty work in each of our hearts and those who hear this, those who've heard this, that we would become more and more like Christ day by day, that we would exhort one another to behold him and taste and see that the Lord is good. In Jesus' name, amen.